Last week's data didn't help, as I think that data appears to be pretty heavily manipulated, and I'm not fully buying the return to growth story. So in short, you'd still be very cautious about this, markets. Very cautious. Brock, it's always good to hear your thoughts. Thanks very much. That's Brock Silvers, who's Chief Investment Officer at Adamas Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at the markets for this morning. Um, in Australia, the SX200 is now slipping. It's down uh, about 0.2%. The Nikkei 225 has also lost its gains. It is about flat. Uh, the Hang Seng should post some small gains at the open of about a quarter of a percent, taking the index to about 25,170 when trading gets going. In the commodities market right now, Brent crude oil also slipping a little bit. It's at $43.13 a barrel. Uh, gold is at $1,809 an ounce. And the US dollar a little bit firmer, trading at 107.2 against the Japanese yen. Do please join me tomorrow morning uh, for Money Talk at 8 o'clock. And stay tuned to Radio 3 for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast, mainly fine apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day again with maximum temperatures of around 33 degrees. And the outlook is to remain very hot and mainly fine in the next few days. But there will also be one or two showers. There is a very hot weather warning in force. It's 29 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Samantha Butler has the half hour news. British newspapers have reported that today the UK will suspend its extradition arrangement with Hong Kong over the introduction of the new national security law here. The Times and Daily Telegraph newspapers said the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, will announce the suspension of the deal in Parliament. Yesterday, Mr Raab accused China of gross human rights violations and said the UK was preparing to escalate its response. I said we would conduct a review of our extradition arrangements and also a range of other measures that we might wish to take. I've now, with the Home Secretary and the rest of government, concluded that review. I will update the House of Commons on what further measures we're taking tomorrow. More than 140,000 people have now died with the coronavirus in the United States, almost a quarter of the total number of deaths worldwide. In an exclusive interview on Fox News Sunday, President Trump defended his handling of the crisis. Speaking to Chris Wallace, he dismissed evidence from Johns Hopkins University that America had the seventh highest mortality rate in the world. When you talk about mortality rates, I think it's the opposite. I think we have one of the lowest mortality That's rates true, in the sir. world. We, well, we, we're going to we take have, a look. We had 900 deaths on a single day. We will this, take a look. This week. Ready? I, you you uh, can check you it out. Could you please get me the mortality rate? I heard we had one of the lowest, maybe the lowest mortality I, rate anywhere in the world. Mr. Trump asserted that a recent rise in infections was due to increased testing. The United Arab Emirates has launched its first space mission using Japanese rockets to send a spacecraft carrying a probe to study the red planet's weather and climate when it arrives in February. To date, only the United States, Europe, India and Russia have managed to put a craft into orbit around Mars. The BBC's Jonathan Amos watched the launch. A new Mars mission is on its way. The UAE doesn't have a rocket of its own, so it asked Japan to get its first interplanetary satellite off Earth and onto what will be a 500 million kilometre journey across space. The satellite will use its instruments at Mars to try to understand how the planet lost its thick atmosphere and water. This is insight that goes directly to the question of whether or not Mars could ever have supported life. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, latest developments of COVID-19. Hong Kong yesterday recorded 108 new cases, the highest number of single-day infections since the outbreak began earlier this year. The Centre for Health Protection says the local medical system could collapse if the situation fails to improve. The government announced a series of tough measures like making masks mandatory in all all indoor public spaces and ordering civil servants to work from home. It'll provide free tests around 400,000 high-risk people, covering taxi drivers, staff at restaurants, elderly care homes and property management firms, and set up specimen collection centres to collect swabs from high-risk individuals. What do you make of developments? Are the public measures proportionate? What about the testing plans? Let us know your thoughts, your questions, your comments. Welcome on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Pick up the phone and uh, join the conversation. Uh, We'll begin getting to our our medical guests uh, in uh, just a moment. We have uh, two doctors in the first part of the programme and then Professor Ben Cowling, the epidemiologist in the second part of the programme. If you've got any questions uh, for uh, either, once again call us on 233-88266. First of all, uh, as often on a Monday, a batch of uh, thoughts from listeners uh, on uh, other topics. First, some related to our discussion on Friday. This comes from DY who says that, uh, I note that Hugh Chiverton imposed direct censorship on Priscilla Leung, a legislator and law professor, on the show this morning by directly lecturing her that she shouldn't speak, quote, too long, citing various, quote, people complaining about her, quote, long speeches, unquote, in the past, basically intimidating her to ensure she has less time to speak. However, Hugh Chiverton has never done the same to other guests, especially anti-government and pro-independence guests. For instance, anti-China, anti-migrant, pro-independence localist Ventus Lau was able to rant for long stretches of time to make declarations and accusations on the show without any moderation. Hugh Chiverton has claimed many times that Backchat found it difficult to invite pro-establishment people to speak on the show, but judging by how he treats them, he seems to ensure they would not want to take part in the show. It makes people wonder if Hugh Chiverton is trying to keep the show one-sided, becoming the dedicated show of anti-government activists. That comes uh, from D.Y. Mike, you were smiling? Well, I remember remember what you said to Priscilla, because I've heard those complaints before about her, um, but it is a fine line, isn't it? Yes, yes, D.Y., I hope you're not a policeman uh, because your, your evidence is completely manufactured. Um, the, the phrases you put in quotes from me, uh, I never said. I never said anything about her long speeches. I never said she shouldn't speak, quote, too long, uh, unquote. Uh, I said it was impossible to have a conversation. Some people had said it was impossible to have a conversation with her. Could she bear that in mind? And she, uh, she explained that she, did, she, did, well, she wasn't in doing it in person, but doing it in a car. She sometimes had problems uh, picking up some of the voices from the radio. That was, that was her phrase. So it was hard to have a, a back and forth. And in fact, she spoke for a continuous, a very long time uh, on, uh, on Friday morning. So, D.Y., that's nonsense. You're pleading not guilty. So that Sorry? You're More pleading that. that <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, Herman says, um, first, I completely support the Pandem's effort to block the Lantau Artificial Island Initiative. Given that a lot of mainlanders are avoiding Hong Kong like the plague and that if you believe them, billions of Hong Kongers are ready to move to the UK, Australia or the US. What do we need all that housing for? I can think of better things to do with those billions. Second, I do not know why Backjack complains you can't get pro-government speakers, given the way you cut off Priscilla Lung last Friday. You don't do that 
that people who write endlessly long messages in support of pandems from faraway lands like Canada. However, I must confess my envy of Bowen's ability to compose lengthy, articulate 20-minute pieces from an ocean away. Though also I wonder if he has nothing else to do there. That comes uh, from uh, Herman. And so you're, everyone's welcome to listen to uh, uh, Priscilla talking at length on, on Friday morning. Uh, and as for Bowen, uh, I think he said he was, uh, his nationality was Canadian. He didn't say where he was. He didn't say that uh, he was not in Hong Kong. Herman also says, It's a good thing Fernando Chung is not running again, given the encouragement he and his fellow pandems gave to last year's rioters, plus the utter refusal of the pandems to condemn the violence, resulted in a reaction in the form of the NSL, which in turn produced other reactions, including threats by overseas trading partners to withdraw preferential tariff treatments. This likely means that prices of many everyday items will rise even further, uh, and for those of you overseas listeners like Bowen in Canada, trust me, prices of many market items here have gone up, which will be most acutely felt by those in lower income brackets, particularly if they're out of work. In other words, Fernando and his fellow pandems will have more, done more harm to Fernando's constituents than Carrie Lam could have accomplished. Uh, by the way, his, quote, condemnation, unquote, on Backchat a few months back sounded more like a confession under duress than a genuine declaration. Uh, and uh, maybe one more. This is from um, this is from Sam, uh, who says Fernando Chung's letter to Hong Kong sounded pathetic. Unfortunately, he said he had decided not to contest. Uh, is this a sign? Pro Dems tripping over one another for nominations. The same Fernando Chung was a spectator when he joined a group who broke away from the main protest march and ended up destroying the LegCo. Did Fernando Chung call the police emergency? If not, he too is culpable for aiding and abetting and being part of the mob, as he had no business to be there. Ex-lawmaker Anok Him's sudden announcement, stepping down as organiser of the primaries, leaves Benny Tai the sole organiser. However, how does Anok Him withdraw after the event absolve him from any subversion offence? Did Anok Him develop cold feet, learning that he may have contravened national security laws? Anok Him came forward in an attempt to shield Benny Tai? Question mark. National security laws was a concept introduced by the USA after World War II to protect the state and her citizens against all kinds of national crises through a variety of power productions, including the use of military mic. Uh, that comes from Sam. Thank you very much indeed for that. Wow, OK. We certainly stirred uh, the populace up over the weekend. Um, let's get back to the virus. Uh, Dr Learn, good morning. Good morning. How, how's the private sector coping? with uh, COVID-19? The private sector is um, uh, quite worried about Hong Kong. We tried our best. The private sector is um, uh, handling most of the primary care in Hong Kong, and therefore we bear the blunt. Um, all the doctors that I work with are pretty anxious. We do not feel uh, knowing about the virus. Our experience of the virus is as limited as any other people in, in, in the medical community all over the world. But we have to face a society and uh, we are standing firm in our line, but uh, it's quite clear that everybody is very anxious what next will happen. Are you conducting tests? Does your, your surgery conduct tests? Uh, <laughs> I do not see patients myself now. <laughs> it's probably uh, the safest option. Services. <laughs> uh, and in fact, even when I conduct the service, I, I'm a specialist in the, in the hospital. Now, but I am operating a team of primary care doctors now yes. and they are able to send tests. We could send tests to the public uh, laboratory, the D Department of Health, 
Uh, we can also send it to um, accredited private laboratories, and we also have our own facilities for faster response time. Is the team getting lots of uh, requests by members of the public for testing? It is on the increase every day. Right. Are the laboratories coping? Uh, they are starting not to sleep. <laughs> What's the, what is the turnaround time? Because one of the big things in America, one of the big complaints there, has been that there's a long delay between the test and the result. How are we doing in Hong Kong on this? If you asked me last week, I would say the turnaround time could be down to within a day. But now, uh, with overwhelming of the capacities, the reports would come in about two days, maybe sometimes three. But we can still be a little bit flex more flexible than the public service. And uh, uh, I have a lot of concern about the health of people working in the laboratories too, so we cannot push them too much. Now, you, see, um, you see, we weren't uh, getting uh, enough information. Uh, hmm? Do you think that there's more information in the government's hands that you're not getting, or it's just that people don't know? It's just that people do not know. The government knows as Well, I will put it this way. The government only controls the measures that it installs. We, the medical, the healthcare sector, would like to be informed uh, quite at, at the same time as the public colleagues. Um, for example, in the private sector, uh, we, we know the government measures at the same time as uh, the, the, the government spokesman announced things. And that is not exactly to the best interest of all the people in Hong Kong, because we need to be prepared, we, not, we need to, to plan ahead. Okay. Also with us this morning is Dr. Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Good morning, Dr. Choi. Uh, how, are th how are your members coping? Right. 
and uh, you mentioned the bottles in collaboration between private and government. You mentioned the bottles for the saliva tests have a nar- some of them now have a very narrow neck. That well, they- because I think they, they, are, they are out of supply. The white neck bottles are out of supply. Right. So they are, they are, they are uh, coming up with these uh, narrow neck bottles. Can't we get uh, more? Uh, uh, the the narrow, back, narrow neck bottles are the uh, new uh, bottles being supplied to the doctors and the patients. Do you, um, do you give a test to anyone who comes to you, uh, or do you well, do, they, do they have to have symptoms? And if so, what kind of symptoms are, are should we be well, worried about? Well, according to the uh, request form from government, either the patient has a temperature, a fever, or respiratory symptoms, or some other symptoms that are relevant, such as that they are living uh, they are living in the same uh, estate as uh, one who has been one who has contracted COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of the patients coming in has uh, some low-grade temperature or uh, living in the same estate as uh, those who have uh, contracted the illness. But you can't just request one. You can't walk, walk in and, uh, and ask? May, well, may you, you, can request, you can request, but uh, according to what is uh, uh, suggested by HA, the hospital authority, in right. uh, last night or this morning, yeah, we are suggesting that all, all all citizens who do not have symptoms do not go to the outpatient clinic uh, to request for COVID nineteen test because of the overburdening of the clinics. Okay, Doctor Lam, yeah, go on. Yes, um, uh, there, there are arrangements also for more affordable testing and all more flexible arrangements. For example, we have organised a service in which. The consultation together with the laboratory that falls below a thousand Hong Kong dollars, and that could be done upon request. And of course, our capacity is also limited, but we are still trying to serve the citizens as much as we can. This is not unique to one particular group, but several groups are doing similarly. So there are there are approaches that the, the private doctors can help. Now we we would like to be more flexible. We would like to to pump up the supply of tests, and we are working very hard on it now. It, it happened like this because the government has a very long time tried to um, organize the services only through the, a very stinging control of the laboratories. And recently, the government has uh, tuned down a little bit on the, the requirements. Uh, but of course, things are very difficult for labs to change. But anyway, I know that the laboratory side colleagues are working very hard on this, and I hope that we have good results to tell the community very soon. Okay, just a, a quick announcement from the from the transport department. Uh, problems uh, on the uh, MTR, an equipment fault on a train near Saiying Pun, uh, delaying uh, the uh, island line. Uh, total journey time between Kennedy Town and Chai Wan could be extended by five to ten minutes. There's so some delays on on the uh, island line. There. Um, uh, quite a few uh, emails on, on different topics, some related to the US. Maybe we'll get to those a little bit later. Uh, Mr. Tang says there's some general observations with the latest. This number of local infections standing at double digits, citizens are once again on high alert against COVID-19. Universal masking seems the most effective strategy to prevent the spread of the virus. Luckily, wearing a mask has become second nature to most Hong Kong people, but there are still a few who blatantly ignore this good practice. The case of a customer beating up a manager for demanding him to put on a mask at a fast food restaurant shows how inconsiderate and tone-deaf some people can be in terms of public health and hygiene. 
Therefore, the mandatory wearing of masks on public transport is a step in the right direction and is a regulation that has deterrent effect, though the actual implementation may be challenging at times. Drivers may exercise their authority to refuse to let passengers who violate the mask regulation board their vehicles, but a stubbornly defiant passenger could be yelling, hence spreading droplets. Faced with this scenario, a driver may not be willing to put himself in harm's way. It's hoped that every citizen in Hong Kong could continue to show prudence and grit in the battle against the pandemic. Otherwise, any efforts to control the virus would go down the drain. That's from Mr Tang. Yes, and I can tell Mr Tang, even I am wearing a mask now, all, all the time on public transport and on entry to various buildings. Yeah, even Mike. Um, uh, Gabriel Choi, the way this is set up, basically, uh, uh, I mean, the, the medical... Once a person has been diagnosed with COVID, then that's all, gonna, all the treatment is going to be basically in the, in, the, in the public sector, isn't it? They're going to go to a public yeah. hospital uh, and yeah. so on? Yeah, when it's diagnosed, uh, the patient must be quarantined in a public hospital. But if the long, this long delay that we're talking about getting the results back... That must that, make that, tracing. That, that, that is, that is uh, with, the, with the onset of the third wave, uh, this is uh, causing a crisis. Yes. Uh, Contact tracing must be almost impossible in that case. Um, yes, uh, a, lot of, a lot of employers request the citizens to get certificates of proof that they are not infected. Uh, and so uh, this has created a greater demand for the test. Yeah, um, that's as far as I understand, the delay happens mostly to negative results. And I think the government, like any other people, the officials, are chasing the positive results as soon as they find it out. I understand that the, the test must be done within several hours, and, uh, and the result will be available within a day or so. So for positive results, I think usually, uh, I cannot guarantee because I'm not working there, but usually the result is known within a day or, or at most two. So the and then they would they would start up the contract tracing processes. This is what I understand about the workflow. But of course, when one has a negative result, information of the result is now a lot uh, faces a lot of delay. Yeah, I mean, part of the delays is, as I understand it, uh, if you if the you, if there's a, if there's a suggestion that you might have, if you have some symptoms you, and there's a suggestion you might have a disease, uh, you've got to wait for the next morning. Is that right to do the spit test? Yes, the spit test is done in the morning on an empty stomach. Right. And then you've got to take the sample to to somewhere. One of the uh, outpatient clinic or chest clinic. So there's, uh, again, but typically that, I mean, that could well be the person who's sick is carrying around uh, well, the sample. And as you say, the sample itself could be contaminated. And by the time slot, it's only between 8.30 to 9.30. All right. And it, it, there is a technical reason for this. Mm. Now, number one, it's, it's not just an empty stomach. Uh, and all the citizens should know they should not brush their teeth, they can, uh, should not uh, uh, eat beforehand. And also the test, the, the, the sample needs to arrive early because then the, then the sample can reach the machine very early. And it has to be processed within a few hours. Therefore, there is a technical reason for the samples to run uh, to the laboratories early. Now, in the overseas conditions, people accept nasopharyngeal swabs, which is quite a bit of discomfort, um, but that could be, it would allow a lot more flexibility in time to reach the machine. So we are using a method which is simple to the user, but then causes a bit of inconvenience to the processing. 
I'm, I'm worried about this point made earlier that a shortage of wide neck bottles means that a person who's attempting to spit into it may in fact be contaminating the outside uh, of the bottle. Uh, and, and therefore he's putting himself at further risk or people who handle the specimen at further risk. The government suggested that after spitting into the bottle, you wipe clean the bottle and the bottleneck uh, before putting it into the plastic bag, the container. Yeah, well, I, I hope everyone is doing that. But, uh, yes. It seems that the solution is obvious. We need more of these wide neck bottles. Yes, uh, that that will be. We, we will discuss with the, uh, the secretary very soon. I, I mean, it, it does seem that the uh, the public sector is playing such a massive part uh, in all of this in the in the testing, the diagnosis, and the treatment. Uh, even in the rehabilitation of, uh, of patients. And now we're hearing from the Centre for Health Protection that there is a, a, a real danger of the, the health system effectively uh, collapsing. Um, should the private sector be doing more? Is there something that, uh, some way we can bring in the private sector into this this crisis, really? Dr. Yes, certainly the, certainly the private sector should do a bit more um, because we basically, in the private sector, operate most of the the primary care facilities. Now, um, we, in the beginning, faced a lot of shortage in the diagnostic capacity, but I understand that a lot of laboratories are gearing up their ability to process tests. And I know of several laboratories who try very hard now to increase their throughput. Um, but it, it takes, despite that we are flexible, it will take a little bit of time. And the government previously did insist very much on the very stringent controls of the laboratories. Therefore, the private sector, despite having manpower, is unable to deploy the resource into the active front line. Now that the government is changing and the labs are responding, I hope that the private sector will contribute a lot differently. What about the latest batch of government control measures? Are they adequate, do you think, or should we be going even further? Um, please, uh, Dr. Chuckers. <laughs> I think there's a chance when we go into a city lockdown if the if the uh, uh, virus kept uh, promulgating. So we have to try and stop or, or reduce the infection rate right now. And uh, I think we the the first step which was not done was uh, uh, oversee uh, airline crewmen, uh, sailors, and businessmen. Uh, who does not, who did not need uh, uh, in, uh, investigation or the test done, and uh, which, according to Professor Hui, just now this morning, uh, uh, was the cause of the recent third outbreak. So we need to tighten up on uh, these measures. The exemptions, yeah, Doctor Lung. I am not hundred percent sure about all these. Now, number one, tightening up is is very appropriate, and I do not argue on that. I am yet to see a, an aggregate of cases around uh, these arrival people, uh, the, the drivers, and all these people. Now, in epidemiology, I think logic works first. Now, if the traffic people, what is the cabin crews? If, for example, the drivers who, who are a little bit of, of implied to be involved in the course, if that is really the most of the, of the reason, then the, the family and their contacts 
should show up as part of the people involved. But it seems to be disseminated in the society now. So it could be that somehow the behavior of the virus changed or that our, our uh, uh, society people behavior changed. Now, the detection, the, the number of cases rises, generally speaking, one to two weeks after the infection is active. So we are looking back to 1.5 to two weeks back. And at the time, a lot of people, the government, the, the people are relaxing onto uh, uh, the social distancing and uh, in hope that Hong Kong is really immune from this problem. So I think it's the whole society who has to be responsible and work together and not just pointing at individual sectors or small segments of people. Okay. Uh, there's also a suggestion that the virus has actually changed uh, and there's a higher viral load compared to past mini-outbreaks. Any comment on that, Dr Lung or Dr Choi? I am not a virologist. Okay. I'm not sure, but Dr. we Choi, listen to, um, to the uh, information from the public health colleagues and I do expect that that could be a case. Dr Choi? Yes, I think we need the professor's view on that. Okay. All right. Well, we will. Uh, Professor Ben Cowling, an uh, uh, epidemiologist, uh, not a medical doctor, will be joining us after the, the news at nine. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and Dr. Aries Lung, Chief Operating Officer of Town Health International Medical Group Limited. Uh, we'll get to some of your comments about the uh, international situation and the uh, efficacy of masks after the news at nine. Uh, you can contribute by emailing backchat at rthk.hk. That problem on the MTR uh, cleared up trains back to normal on the island line the weather mainly fine apart from some isolated showers very hot during the day temperatures up to 33 degrees 30 celsius at the moment with the relative humidity now of 79 percent been arrested. They're alleged to have issued bogus certificates to thousands of patients saying they were virus-free without testing them. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Monday morning on RTHK Radio 3 with uh, Mike Grouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of COVID-19 with that very worrying uh, increase, that surge. Uh, yesterday, 108 new cases uh, recorded, the highest number in uh, a single day since the outbreak uh, began. And the CHP says the local medical system could collapse if the situation fails to improve. We were talking to two doctors in the first part of the programme. We were joined now by Professor Ben Cowling, Professor and Division Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, as ever, we want to hear from you. Email back, chat at rthk.hk. Call us on 233-88266. Comment on our Facebook page. Let's see what people have been saying on our, on, uh, our Facebook page. Uh, just before we get to uh, COVID-19, one comment from Matthew, uh, who says, off today's topic, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mike Rouse seemed genuinely shocked to hear that our government was operating concentration camps, holding more than a million people against their will and reportedly carrying out forced sterilisation, a.k.a. genocide, on its own people. So I've attached this in-depth, first-hand account of what's being done in Xinjiang. Uh, and there's an account, there's a link to a report there. And Matthew says, I wish we could have a back chat programme on the Xinjiang situation. Uh, OK, other comments on uh, Facebook... Uh, quite a few on the 
issue of uh, exemptions uh, uh, and travel. Uh, Desiree says, the quarantine rules are pathetic. My colleague came back to Hong Kong two hours before the deadline in March. She had to be quarantined at home with the wristband. Husband arrived two hours before the cutoff. They lived together and he was allowed to roam the city. And Jeffrey says, since everyone is wearing masks, this just goes to prove their ineffectiveness. Uh, And there's a little uh, discussion there on uh, Jeffrey's, uh, should we call it contentious uh, claim? Uh, Some some, uh, response there. Uh, uh, Tom also says, uh, I've noticed that when speaking to me, people tend to move in closer and closer. What could be some possible methods, humorous or otherwise, to keep people at a two-metre distance? Anything you can say to uh, keep people away from you? Don't shower. Don't shower. I don't think you've developed bad breath or or something. Okay, uh, S says, are the law enforcement officers immune from the virus because only the public is being charged? We do not see any social distancing among them. I heard there was a case of COVID among law enforcement officers. Offices and uh, Paul, this is actually Paul Zimmerman, says, Let Hong Kongers know so they can manage the risks. And there's a quote uh, asking for daily statistics on passenger traffic exempted from compulsory quarantine requirement under each of the 33 categories uh, identified under CAP 599C and CAP 599 as persons exempted from the compulsory quarantine requirement, as well as the daily traffic of individuals exempted from quarantine or inspection requirements under other law. That comes uh, from Paul Zimmerman drawing attention to those, uh, the system of uh, exemptions. And uh, uh, maybe some comment, uh, a couple of comments on the situation in the United States, as we've been hearing about uh, in the news. Larry says Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg told Anthony Fauci of the White House Coronavirus Task Force that Trump is to blame for the US being, quote, significantly worse than other countries in terms of how he has handled the COVID-19 outbreak. Americans should indeed hold the administration responsible for the huge mess the country is in and for the outright disregard for public public safety and human lives. And finally, Sherman says Americans are already suffering from a massive health crisis. On top of that, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McKenney, is that right, declared, quote, the president has said unmistakably that he wants schools to open. And when he says open, he means open in full. Kids have been able to attend, uh, kids been able to attend each and every day at their school. The science should not stand in the way of this, unquote. So that means if the emperor has ordered it, health experts and scientists should shut up as they have no place in the policy debate. In Hong Kong and mainland China, we cherish the contributions of health experts and scientists who are well respected. It's a shame to see how they are derided and discarded in the US when they are most needed in a health crisis of this scale. That comes uh, from Sherman. Thank you. And once again on a Monday, it's Professor Ben Cowling. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, here we are again. I think this is the third or fourth time you and I have discussed uh, the progress of the virus. What are, what are the latest evidence we're getting? Is there a big difference between how older people and younger people are uh, suffering from this? Yeah, we, we know that in younger people is almost always very, very mild infection, but in elderly it can be quite serious. I think estimates of the mortality rate are something like one in a million infections in children as compared to all the way up to 5% plus in the elderly. So massive, massive differences in the severity profile 
as age increases. That would suggest that m maybe this argument to open schools is not that wild. No, and I think primary schools would certainly... Uh, it would certainly be justified to open primary schools. We know there was not much transmission in schools in Hong Kong in the previous month when schools were open, despite some cases being identified in children. And then mass testing was done in those schools. They didn't find evidence of, of transmission. So that's reassuring. But at the same time, if there was to be transmission in schools, that would also then get into the community. Uh, many children live not only with their parents, but with their grandparents. And so in Hong Kong particularly, I think that there is still a risk of transmission in the community. We need to think of every possible measure that might be effective or an efficient way to slow down the spread. Well, and of course, you've also got the problem of teachers in the classroom because they're not... Yeah, and of course, remember that some, some teachers are, are older adults, some of them may have underlying health conditions, and they'd be at risk if they were to get COVID. Uh, and also, when the schools break up, you see a, a marked difference in traffic on the roads. Uh, the whole of Hong Kong is a lot quieter during yes, school we, time. We shot through in no time this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they definitely add to the to the traffic and fill up public transport and, and so on. So it's a lot less crowded when, when children are... Although are I did school. notice that the MTR reduced frequency. In some, so it sort of, yes... So increases it. it, increases it which the increases density. the density of the, of the people, the passengers. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about this issue of uh, exemptions? Quite a few of our emails, Professor Cowling, were, we're, drawing, exemption, uh, we're drawing attention uh, to that. And it's actually something that uh, Dr Choi and, and Dr Lung in the first part of the programme kind of disagreed on. Um, you know, uh, whether this rise is in some way due to people bringing it in from outside and so the spotlight would fall on those people who have the exemptions. Well, there's two possibilities, mm. I think, for how the virus has got back into Hong Kong. One is in people who were exempt, and perhaps particularly the air crew or the maritime uh, arrivals, rather than, I think, that the arrivals from the north, where there really is not much COVID at the moment. The second possibility, though, and I think I said this last time on the show, is because of the way we do home quarantine, when someone comes back from overseas... They can stay at their home. I think, Mike, you said that your son or daughter stayed in a hotel. Some okay. people do that, but others will bring the family member back and stay at home with them. And then that quarantined person has to stay at home for 14 days. But the family members are not under the same restriction. So if there was a little bit of transmission in the family and then the family members went out into the community, that's how infection could leak into the community. Yes. What about this uh, re reports that the virus is changing? I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty about that. We know in general this virus does not change that fast and the characteristics of infection will therefore not change drastically. I'm still not really sure why we're able to have so much spread in Hong Kong now, whereas when we look back at March, there was spread, but not like it is now. I know things have gone more back to normal now. In March, there were more restrictions in place when we had that that first peak um, but it is a concern that if there were changes in the virus then then perhaps that's one of the explanations for what's happening but personally i haven't seen evidence of changes in the virus because well yeah so just going back to the the question of the the uh, transmissibility of the virus uh, uh dr Leung was saying that w you would expect if if it was being brought in from outside you expect cabin crew or sailors to be the people catching it but that doesn't seem to be the case 
Um, well, I, we, we have not recognized every single infection mm. that's occurred in Hong Kong. I'm sure there are some infections that have been missed, never identified, some very mild or even asymptomatic infections. So, I mean, I, I think it's difficult to say exactly how the virus has got in this time. And from the virus fingerprinting, the genetic fingerprinting, it looks like there's multiple introductions of the virus. This is not just one infection that came in has now spread. It's multiple opportunities, multiple introductions. One, of the, one thing I have observed uh, going around is that people, see, when they're wearing a mask, seem to be less concerned about the social distancing. So that, in a sense, maybe they're getting a false sense of security. I yeah, I mean, the, the mask still works. So there was a comment that you read out saying that masks are ineffective. That, that's not true. Masks definitely work. If we were not wearing masks, I'm sure things would be worse. But at the same time, we can't only rely on masks to protect us because clearly we're having a lot of spread of COVID-19 despite everybody wearing masks. It would be worse if we were not wearing masks, but we do need to do more. We need social distancing as well. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, TC comments uh, actually on Facebook responding to uh, Jeffrey who had said that uh, uh, masks are ineffective. Uh, TC says masks don't prevent everything, but wearing it is better than not wearing it. Another big issue is wearing the mask improperly, such as wearing the same one all day. Uh, I thought wearing the same one all day was okay. I thought we'd established well, that. Well, strictly we? speaking, you're supposed to change those disposable masks every few hours. And for the reusable ones, the washable ones, you're supposed to wash it quite often, actually. Um, but in practice, you, you, can, you can see people are wearing the same mask for long periods of time. That, that's one of the factors that may contribute to masks being less effective. But I'm sure they're still effective. I'm sure they still help. I mean, some people do it, uh, change the mask every day. Uh, some people go by the number of hours they've been wearing that mask. Yeah, the, the recommended use, I think, on the box is like four or five hours, four to six hours maybe. Right. Of use. So really two a day? Mm. Well, not if you're on your own at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you wouldn't wear one at all, no. Uh, OK, uh, some uh, more comments. All right. Uh, Bernadette says, Please clarify if cafes in five-star hotels are also restricted to the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. no sit-down eating. Uh, asks Bernadette. I'm not sure about that. I presume, do they mean like for residents? Does it? Uh, is it mean hotel rules? guests? Uh, yeah. Any knowledge of that, Professor Cowling? I, I don't know the specifics of that. Uh, okay. Uh, and a uh, couple more comments. Uh, Umesh says, uh, got to give credit where credit is due. At least one thing the Hong Kong government is doing right is keeping the children safe with school closures. The same policy is happening in Europe too, where my children are presently studying. As for the US, that's another story, as I say, uh, comes from uh, Umesh. Uh, it does seem in many places in, in, uh, the, in Europe, uh, uh, Professor Cowling, uh, it's definitely on, on the downslope. Uh, it seems as if the the uh, disease is disappearing and, and we're having a sudden surge here. Uh, any thoughts on that, why that might be happening? Uh, we're certainly spending a lot of time indoors now because it's so hot outside and we know COVID spreads much more easily indoors than outdoors. We're all using air conditioning in all the public buildings, shopping malls, public transport is air conditioned and that's going to help the virus to spread. 
um, as opposed to if we, for example, had the windows open in, in, in buses or in offices or buildings. Mm. And um, we, are, we are very dense here, aren't we? In, in the sense very densely populated, yeah. a lot of opportunities for people to come into contact with each other, a lot of crowded areas. And so I'm not that surprised that COVID spreads more efficiently here than in other parts of the world. Um, you know, Hong Kong's probably COVID's favourite place to spread because there's so many people in a small area. Mm. And we always, everyone's using the lift several times a day. You can't help it because we're living in and working in high-rise, whereas in a lot of places in Europe, people walk in there from the road, from their front door. You don't need to... Yeah, we it. have crowded public transport. We have crowded restaurants. We have crowded offices. Everywhere you go, there's crowding, and that means... There's opportunities, if, if there's COVID in the community, there's opportunities for it to spread. Okay. Our number 233-88266. Mike's on the line. Uh, again, Mike, good morning to you. Uh, it's, I don't type well, and, and you've got a problem reading, so I just thought <laughs> I'd call. <laughs> I just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll enter into the conversation when you're missing a point. And I think there's one point you're missing, and nobody wants to talk about this in the profession also. And that is, could this be airborne? And if it is airborne, we are really in a lot of trouble. Hey, Mike, explain why that would be significant. and what's, what, uh, what, Airborne is different than, uh, I mean, think about uh, airborne would be very, very small particles. I mean, your, your heavy particles are going to, uh, as you sneeze or cough, they're going to go about, you know, uh, uh, maybe two meters. And so this is why the six-foot distancing they'll land on the ground and then they'll you know they'll stay on they'll stay on things but if it's airborne uh and it's and it's very small particles those are like mist that stay in the air and they 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 dry out uh in just moments and the virus floats in the air and then your masks are not going to be doing any if that is the case your masks won't help at all because they can attack your eye that the virus can go in your eye and this is why people in the emergency room wear eye protection they wear the the n95 mask and they uh, uh they you know they they cover up uh, very how can i say very uh, very uh, uh very well hmm. and so if it is airborne which nobody wants to talk about that because there could be an aspect of it. Um, yeah, right. we're, in for, we're in for a long ride. Professor Cowling? Second, can, secondly... Can you wait, wait, just do one thing at a time, maybe? Professor okay. Cowling, do you want to respond? Any thoughts? Yeah, that, that, there's been a lot of debate about how exactly COVID spreading from one person to another. And actually, my, my personal opinion is that it is spreading at short range through this airborne route. But you need to remember that with airborne transmission, the risk is going to depend on the amount of virus that, that a case is breathing out. And what we know about COVID, most people with COVID are not very contagious. They're almost not infectious at all. So you really need a prolonged close contact, maybe sitting next to them for an hour, two hours, three hours to have a chance to get infected. Occasionally, there have been cases that seem to be more contagious. And if you remember back in March, there was an outbreak in some bars in Wan Chai and TST. That may have been one of the scenarios where there was a more contagious person in the bar, in the room, and there was more virus then spreading through the air. So it is not necessarily true that airborne transmission is scary, 
because we know most COVID cases are not that contagious. But it does mean we need to be very careful about social distancing. And we're thinking about not only avoiding face-to-face contact, talking to other people maybe, we're also avoiding being in the same room with lots of other people because there can be a risk there. A good way to think about the risk of airborne transmission is when, when you smell someone who's smoking in the restaurant. If they're sitting near you, you have a chance to smell the cigarette smoke. If the person's sitting on the other side of the restaurant, most likely you wouldn't notice because it's too far away. There's not that much smoke uh, you know, traveling all the way across the restaurant. In terms of masks as well, to respond to that specific point, even when the virus is in those very, very small particles, masks can still help. They will not provide 100% protection, but they will be better than not wearing a mask. And you're, uh, Mike's right about the, the eyes being a potential uh, a, a source of infection. But if you think about it, you breathe in a lot of air, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out a lot all the time. If there was virus around, you'd have a chance to breathe it in or out. If it's going to infect your eyes, it has to land on your eyes, which really is, is quite unlikely. So, so we recognize that it's possible to be infected that way, but in reality, it's a, it's a much, much lower risk. Okay. It's a good idea for healthcare workers to wear goggles. Has the number of COVID, now I don't know whether or not uh, they, they count it this way in Hong Kong, but in the United States, if a family comes in um, with, a, with a member that has COVID, Every one of that group, every one of that family is, is counted as, they say, P.S. COVID, or they have, a, they have a little asterisk in front of the word COVID, as they have been uh, um, uh, in, in proximity to somebody with COVID, and it's a presumed COVID, those people are counted as COVID people. And so the numbers are maybe skyrocketing in the United States, but the counting is, is, um, is never talked about. And the way they count it, and it, a presumed COVID is counted as a COVID. Yeah. In Hong Kong, we're very careful that we only count the laboratory-confirmed cases. But in the U.S., I've heard uh, the same rumor that sometimes they count presumed COVID that's, that's, that's because they don't want to... Uh, it's not a rumor. I've got I've got family that are in the emergency room, and they they write it down. This is how this is this is what gets um, reported to the uh, CDC and those uh, and the different organizations that do the counting. Okay. Uh, okay. Thanks very much indeed for your call, Mike. Uh, as ever, uh, here's an email from Paisley. A question for Professor Cowling: How has Macau kept its COVID case count so low? Does Professor Cowling believe the numbers? That comes from Paisley. Yeah, they've done really well. They're doing a lot of testing. They're very alert. We'd know about it if they were having the kind of case numbers that we're having in Hong Kong. I guess in Macau, they don't have so many people coming back from Europe and the U.S. as we've had or from other parts of the world. Um, I think more of the people that go into Macau are from mainland China. So maybe they've, they've been lucky so far. But we know that for any place in the world, COVID will get in sooner or later. And so I guess Macau still need to stay on alert well, for that. One thing I noticed when I went to Macau, um, right, right from the start, 100% masks on all forms of public transport, including taxis, and close the border. They did both of these right at the very beginning. I thought they kept the border open. 
No. Sorry, with Zhu Hai? I thought uh, were... No, I could go from, from Hong Kong across the bridge. I thought they... it was completely open to Zhu Hai. Professor Cowling, do you know? I don't remember. I don't remember. They were very strict on entry. Oh. The casinos were closed. Nobody was coming in. Let me Google that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we had a question about hotel dinners. Uh, Andy, in an email, says dinner in restaurants in hotels for residents is banned after 6pm. I booked a package for next week, including gourmet dinner. Now it's been replaced by in-room dining, uh, says uh, Andy. Uh, e says, uh, on uh, air and ship crew, a point to consider on air and ship crew based outside Hong Kong is that they arrive, stay for a few days, turn around and then leave again. If they come from places with community outbreaks, i.e. most of the rest of the world, they might be asymptomatic spreaders. If they become symptomatic later, Hong Kong authorities might never know about it. Why are we not keeping these crews in isolation while they were in Hong Kong instead of letting them go out on the town? That comes uh, from E. Any response to that, for scanning? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think we're now learning that those kind of exemptions might pose a risk because when we get to a position, hopefully in, in maybe a month or two months' time, back down to zero cases, right. we've again got to think very carefully about how to keep the virus out of the community for as long as possible. And having these exemptions is potentially giving the virus an easier way back in. One, one other thing I wanted to ask you, um, there's a difference, of course, uh, between dying of COVID and dying with COVID. Mm. I, I was thinking that last week, you know, I'm sure the, the family concern is very upset that a 95-year-old grandmother died, but 95 is a very good innings. Did, did the virus yeah, kill her or, or did she die of old age and, and on testing was found to have the virus. So I, I, I don't know for those kind of specific cases, but I'm sure there are cases where, where people have passed away with the virus rather than because of the virus. Um, in due course, we'll be able to look at the mortality counts, maybe not in Hong Kong, but in the US or other places, to see what's the level of excess mortality over and above what might have happened anyway. And we can also think not only about numbers of deaths, but the years of life lost. So for a person who's age 90 who passes away from COVID, maybe that's taken a year or two away from their life. But if it's a younger adult, um, then, you know, that, that could be decades of life taken away. And we can add it up in that way to, to really get a, a better idea of the full impact. All right. And, and I mean, the case of the man with a heart attack, sort of was admitted to hospital because of the heart attack and then on testing found he had the virus. Well, well there's evidence that COVID can cause those right. kind of cardiovascular outcomes. It can put more pressure on the lungs, on the heart, because of the infection. OK, Martin, in an email, says, to control infection rates, trace cases faster, and to minimise the impact on business and restaurants where many where many close contacts occur and where people take the masks off, wouldn't it be better to introduce a contact tracing and QR code registration app like is done on the mainland? That question from Martin. Ben so I think some restaurants are taking patrons' contact details so that if there was a need to get in touch with them, they would be able to do that. But not every restaurant is doing that. As, a, as for the QR code on the mainland, I think there's a lot of privacy concerns about that from the, the community in Hong Kong. I'm not sure that that will, will go ahead. But um, it's true that, that we have this choice now in Hong Kong about how to get on top of COVID. One way is the targeted measures, the testing, the tracing, 
and the quarantine of contacts. And then the other way is just the mass social distancing, just stop the spread from, right. you know, even from these people that we don't know. And the more we can do of the former, the more of the targeted work, probably the less social distancing would be needed. Should we ban in-house dining altogether? Well, I think what we've seen already is that there is transmission in restaurants, but at the same time in Hong Kong, restaurants fulfill a very important function. A lot of people don't have, have you know, not so easy for them to, to cook and eat at home. They do need to get food from somewhere. They don't always have places to eat, uh, need something when they're at work to go out for lunch. So it, it's really a, a difficult call to make. But we, we do recognize that the restaurants are one of the places where transition has been occurring. All right. Uh, Martin says uh, Hong Kong is a globally recognized biopharma center. So never mind the primitive talk about masks, etc. Why has the government not made use of this highly advanced locally based industry to perfect uh, test trace and find a vaccine to the coronavirus? Find these companies in the Hong Kong Science Park. Oh, yes. Supposedly backed by the government. Hooray for the civil servants. That comes from Martin. Uh, Professor Cowling? Well, so uh, we are doing pretty well at test and trace in Hong Kong. We've got very quick turnaround of testing, a lot of people doing the contact tracing and we're doing the quarantine. Um, in terms of vaccine development, Hong Kong's not really recognized as one of the top places in the world for vaccine development, but there are scientists in Hong Kong working on vaccine development and hopefully can contribute. Um, but we don't have local manufacturing capacity, so we're going to have to buy our vaccines from overseas ultimately. Okay, uh, is this just going to go on basically until we get the vaccine? Probably. I think it's going to be year. up and down a lot. So my my guess for this current uh, epidemic is going to be another month or two before we get back down to zero, because there's so many cases now. Even when the measures start to show their effectiveness in a week or so, it's going to take time for the numbers to come back down and down and down all the way down to zero. So that's going to disrupt the start of school in September. We'll have a period of time where we're down at zero again. And then we'll probably have introductions back into the community, back up again, social distancing again. It's going to be up and down like this for, for months and months and months. Uh, and it's difficult to say how soon we can get hold of a vaccine, even if there was an effective vaccine identified in, in maybe China or in, in uh, the Europe or the US. Hong Kong may not be the first place in the world to get it. We'll have to wait our turn. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us uh, once again, Professor Ben Cowling there, Professor at the uh, uh, University of Hong Kong, Division Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. Uh, just on the uh, Macau and Zhuhai, um, I'm not quite sure the significance of this, but I found a, a report from uh, June, from June 24, saying Macau lifts quarantine requirements for non-resident workers from Zhuhai as of June the 24th. So they were lifting something in June the 24th. Which but, means they must have, which must had, have it before. had it before. But for how long or, or what right. the situation is now, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, would uh, deserve further uh, investigation. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Mike, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. The subject that keeps on giving. I'm afraid it does, unfortunately, alas. Uh, many thanks to Raphael, our producer, for this morning, uh, joining us in the studio. And the weather forecast before we go, many fine, apart from isolated showers. There's a very hot weather warning now. It's going to be very hot during the day. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees. Uh, Rents can stay hot and mainly fine in the next few days with a couple of showers too. 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 76%. This quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. 
The rates concession has already been reflected, but there is no concession for government rent. Remember to pay by July 31st or you'll have to pay a surcharge. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department on 21520111. To receive the bill in a convenient and environmentally friendly way, register for the ERVD bill service at the department's website. 933, the news now with Samantha Butler. British newspapers have reported that today the UK will suspend its extradition arrangement with Hong Kong over the introduction of the national security law here. The Times and Daily Telegraph newspapers said the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, will announce the suspension of the deal in Parliament. More than 140,000 people have now died with the coronavirus in the United States, almost a quarter of the total number of deaths worldwide. In an exclusive interview on Fox News Sunday, President Trump dismissed evidence from Johns Hopkins University that America had the seventh highest mortality rate in the world. And the United Arab Emirates has launched its first space mission using Japanese rockets to send a spacecraft carrying a probe to study the red planet's weather and climate when it arrives in February. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the university. Set and costume designer, interpreter of Beethoven. To our oh-so-shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, this is not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun. Hello. Aside from what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Well, very good morning to you. Uh, welcome to a brand new week here on Morning Brew. Well, just when they were about to uh, hit the field again, Hong Kong's sportsmen and women have just slid down the great big snake. There's no ladder in sight either for these guys. The CEO of Hong Kong Rugby, Robbie McRobbie, is going to be with us after 10 to chat a bit more. And then we're off to New York to catch up with correspondent and best-selling author Tracy Kwan. 11.40, we've got an interesting radio piece from Morning Brew's hard-working intern and uh, student reporter. His name's Tommy Hicks. Now, this piece is about an introvert-extrovert type of person who discusses online gaming via YouTube. He chatted with a couple.